your team manages 2,600 units, $272 million worth of assets under management. Welcome to the Cashflow Happy Hour podcast. I'm your host, Josh Baldovino. And on this podcast, we interview investors live on how they are increasing their cash flow. So let's grab a drink and get into it. Maggie, Jen, welcome to the podcast. How are y'all doing today? Good. Hi, Josh. How are you? I'm good. Weather is getting warmer on the West Coast. You East Coasters, what is it like over there? Oh, it's actually really good. It's like 80s now. Yeah. We're not too shabby here. (laughs) And so Maryland and New Jersey, yes? Yes. Have you guys always been based out of the East Coast? Yeah. yeah, pretty much grew up in Maryland. I moved out of the Maryland for a little bit for college and then moved right back. <laughs> okay. And then Maggie, to you, I, you nodded your head yes, too. So also from the East Coast. Yes. I was going to point out, Jen actually went to California for a brief period. <laughs> I did. I was in Southern California for college. Yeah. Well, that's why you didn't stay there because you, you went to LA and not <laughs> yeah. the area. Okay. But before we dive into it, obviously the headline for this episode is going to be that that your team manages 2,600 units, $272 million worth of assets under management. One, I guess, how did you even get there? And so what's the quick background? Maggie, how about you go first? Sure. So my background is in audit or I have a background in CPA, but I don't do taxes. So don't ask me for tax questions. <laughs> so I'm my former job was in the bank and I audited the, the investment bankers. So they packaged deals together large deals, but I never thought I was able to kind of get into these deals as an investor because you had to be at least $25 million net worth in you to even participate. So it was, it's totally out of my, even my mind to even think about that investing in those deals. But I, will have, I had the opportunity to look at how they put the deals together, how they analyze the deal, how they do the due diligence. So those are very, um, it was exciting for me to see that thing behind the scene, but like five years ago, I quit my job in the corporate because I have family and I just decided to step out of that field. And at that time, we always wanted to, from my personally, my, myself and my husband, we wanted to grow our own portfolio. Single, we had two single family rentals at that time in New Jersey, and they're barely cash flowing. We probably make like 50 bucks from the two properties per month. But we're thinking, okay, we've got to figure out how to scale this and buy more property. So when I took my, during that one year break, I just kind of decided to, I just give me, I told my husband, like, let's give me one year to figure out how to get into this real estate. And I'm, I know I'm going to fail a lot. And so just give me, also telling myself to give myself some grace too, because I know it's a new career. So you kind of have to give yourself grace and after 13 years in corporate ladder you kind of have to re rejigger your brain and something else. So in that one year, I learned a lot. I became a real estate agent. I also like shadow a flipper. And so I just kind of got into different types of investing and figuring out my way of how to get into real estate and my, with my skill set and how to scale up portfolio. But we realized that I can't do it in New Jersey. <laughs> and, and I realized also it was very hard to do one at a time. I just got into a lot of like meetups and networking and conferences and that's real and got into syndication. Um, 
and I joined a mastermind group and that's where I met Jen actually. She's also a CPA. So we kind of bonded that point and our third partner who's not here, she's also a CPA audit background. So why not three, three, try and join forces and combine our resources and knowledge and tackle this. And I always love to be in the partnership because you keep accountable each other. And it's just much more fun when you have a group and same yeah. like that. Yeah, so that's how we got here. Well, that's fun. So you guys must have the nicest underwriting documents ever. We'll have to <laughs> do like a follow-up episode where I can, you guys can help us build out models. Cause gosh, I, that is the hard part for me, especially making it pretty. Jen, what about you? Yeah. So like Maggie said, I have a pretty similar professional background in terms of how we got started in the big four accounting firm as an auditor CPA. For me, instead of going to Wall Street, because I live in Maryland, close to DC, I kind of ventured toward the nonprofit world and it was just so for the better work-life balance. And I wanted to support a charitable cause with my professional skills. So I worked at a children's hospital after I transitioned out of the big four and also for a global think tank. And that was over a decade. I worked for these, both of these companies. So it was really nice. I got to travel to different countries with my global think tank. We had offices in countries like China, Russia, Brussels, India. So it was really fun. So at that point of my life, everything was pretty nice. I had a, I was I had a young child and I was pregnant with my second one. And at that, at about that time, I kind of felt like some restlessness in my heart. I felt like there was something I was searching for and I didn't really quite have what I wanted or maybe what I was meant to be doing, something like that. So over the next few years for me, my husband at the same time, he is a residential realtor and his business started growing and we were getting heavily taxed each year. So at this point in, in our life, we were living middle-class lifestyle, working very hard. At this point, I had my second child, so we were paying a lot for childcare. And then at the end of the day, each year, taxes took, kind of took away a lot of our savings. So it was really frustrating for me and for him also, my husband, to be living in this cycle. And so at that point, I knew something had to change. I did a lot of research and learning and kind of came to the conclusion that Real estate was the answer to how I was feeling in my heart, that restlessness that I wanted to do something more with my life and also our big tax dilemma. And so that's kind of how we started looking seriously into different ways to invest in real estate and really start building our portfolio back in 2018. So started small with like duplexes and single families. And then I met Maggie. Well, I joined the mastermind group where I met Maggie and I did some syndications before I met her. But yeah, once we joined forces, I think our portfolio really grew from there. So that's fun. Okay. So I, I want to dive into that you know, of like the partnership structure, how that helped expand before we do that, just because to kind of demystify what the number means. And I want to pull up your website here. So mm -hmm. if you guys are listening to this on a podcast, that is more excuse for you to also save this and go onto YouTube so you can see their web, their beautiful website. So where you invest, amazing, lots of different markets, but I want to go into the bottom here of like the headline numbers. How the heck did you all get to 2,600 units under management, portfolio value of 272 million? Like how, where did this start? Yeah. So we, like I can share. So we joined the mastermind group and you can't 
I think a lot of people like look at the overall picture, but it's, you have to start small from somewhere. There's a lot of teams in the mastermind group where you find your partnerships and there's a lot of roles that you can play in order to be part of the GPT. And of course, you obviously you have to put in your value, you know, and our value is really underwriting, looking at analysis. And also we're able to bring in our, some cap, our capital and our investor capital as well. So the 2,600, most of the deals, when we started, it's all we've been helping out. So either analyzing, we're taking small role. We're also in bringing investors throughout vetting process. So we are still very involved in asset management and those deals, but in day to day, we don't have to get as involved. Towards the later in 2021 and 2022, we did acquire our own properties. When I say acquire, meaning like we sourced it, we we found a deal, we put the deal together, we put a team together. And also at, we still can't currently like raise all the capital ourselves. So we do have to bring in general partners, other people who can bring in the rest of the capital for our deals. So I will say like most of the properties are, are where we actually help out on other teams, but there are the last two acquisition, which is a total of six properties. It's about 388 units. Those are very hands-on and it's a lot to do day to day. So you can't possibly do everything together. So you have to have a team and then you have to have a tribe. So I love it. And one thing that I learned from Best Ever that there are so many different ways to get into multifamily investing. I think that initial roadblock of how, like, where can you start is the craziest part. So Jin, maybe could you tell me a little bit about kind of those, I know you syndicated before you met Maggie. Yeah. Right. So what was that first deal for you? Oh, the first deal, it was in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was learning about real estate syndications and multifamily investing at that time. And I met one of the guy in my mastermind group that we've eventually joined and he was a great resource and just very knowledgeable, trusted him a lot. He knew what he was doing, took care of the deal from start to finish, pretty much with him and one other partner. And so he wanted to show, he wanted to give me an opportunity to essentially participate, get my feet wet in the syndication and immerse myself in the syndication world. And so he offered me the opportunity and really grateful for that chance. And I forget how many, I think that was like 139 units. It's been a while now, um, but we've gone full cycle on that deal. It was, we held it for about two years or so, and we've gone full cycle on it already. But that was my first syndication in Atlanta, Georgia on a class C multifamily property. Awesome. And then Maggie, I'm going to throw it back to you as well. So like, what was that first deal for you and how did you get involved with it? Yeah, the first syndication deal, it's also the same thing in the mastermind group. I connected with a, a another female syndicator at the time, and she's the one who brought me in and she, she had a deal going on. So she was able to loop me in and be gracious to allow me to kind of shadow her. So, and that deal also went full cycle and... Uh, really we did really well with the investors it was owned by a church uh, so you can imagine it it wasn't really it was taken care of but it wasn't like pushed you know, to the where it could be rents were about 500 bucks and people were staying there there was a very old tenant that, that was there since 1970 that was the oldest tenant <laughs> so but we put in a lot of capital in there and we were able to bring rents up to um I think for a three bedroom, if you can get like 500 bucks, but when we 
transition transition upgraded, it was we were able to get nine hundred to a thousand dollars on those three bedroom units. Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. So your step in was the mastermind group. Jen, yes. it looks like you met someone who let you get the foot in. I mean, I think a lot of people look at multifamily investing as kind of the next big step up in their kind of real estate investing career. And how to take that step is crazy, right? Because you think about what it takes to run the deal yourself. You have to not only be able to raise the capital for it, but your general partnership group, the core group who's operating has to have a net worth more than the loan amount. And your brokers have to be the best friends The lenders got to trust you. Like there's a million different steps. So yeah. both of you, including myself as well, right? Leverage someone else's experience to help increase your track record. Mm -hmm. Kind of like having your parents maybe open up your first credit card to help with the, like, with the credit score there. What would you say would be the piece of advice for you all? If someone else wanted to find that mentor, that group, that person of experience, what would you tell them as advice to find that person? For me, I guess I'll say it's you, I think you always want to interview different mentorship group where, and see what fits you. Cause not, I would say not on mentors. It's not as much as you, they're good at it. It might not be good for your perspective, right? Cause in your career and your journey, what kind of role do you want to take on? Do you want to be the cap raiser? Do you want to be deal sourcer? Do you want to be, you're kind of like get into the role. You're not even quite sure. So you have to kind of see like, if you know the answer, which I did not know. So for me, it was more finding a tribe that people are similar values and similar culture that driving forward, who has a momentum, who wants to do better and do things. That was what I was looking for. And then that's where I think I found, and I actually found Jen. <laughs> and then Jen, how did you yeah. find your person? So I would say, okay, so I've met this person at an event and it took me over a year of like just slowly getting to know them and like talking to them, going to their other events, right? Really vetting them out before I decided, okay, this is, they kind of speak my language. I like their culture. I like what they're about. So before I committed to joining the group, but then, however, I would advise people who are getting started in multifamily investing to... Yes, it's important to have an interview and find a good mastermind group that fits your, matches your value, right? Um, however, I would advise them to kind of take it slow <laughs> because, you know, you're going to, even when you're in a mastermind group and you're like leaning on other people's experience, it is very important to just take your time really to get to know the people within the group and kind of like how they operate. I would advise, I wouldn't advise anyone to grow so fast. Because growing too fast in this industry, you're going to miss a lot of things. And you're talking about multi-million dollar deals when it comes to multifamily. And it's something that you want to take seriously. Definitely take your time learning and getting to know the people around you. That's really good advice. I think that is the hardest thing is you hear the podcasts, right? This 22-year-old has $50 million in real estate making $50,000 a month or whatever the headline is. It ends up being it ends up being just crazy, right? And then you go to meetups and you're so inspired that the first person you meet at this meetup, you want to start, I want to start too. Cool, let's buy a hundred million dollars in real estate. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like you end up spiraling versus not really being able to like, discover your partnership as much. So I think you taking a year to then vet whoever you wanted to approach, I think was really smart. One more follow-up question on this, because everyone says find someone add value, find someone add value, find some add value. Like, do you guys have a hot take or thoughts on that? 
and how do you actually go about adding value? Yeah, I am a huge believer in that statement. For example, like when I first, when I told you I took a year to figure out this real estate and figure out which avenue I like to invest. So I did shadow a flipper and is a she, and she was a former accountant and she's been flipping business flipping her business for, I mean, flipping houses for four years. And I really saw her as a mentor and I just like, Hey, can I work for you? You know, I just want to shadow. And I just want, and of course, when you ask people this, it's people, the, the, I also look at it from her angle. Like it, it takes time away from her too, to do that. So I always try to add value little by little, but just sharing like, Hey, here's a house. I did an analysis for her. And I show it to her and she see, she understand the value that I can put in. So I keep on doing that for a few times. I also like walk through the house for her and show her videos. And uh, slowly I help her do inspection walks <laughs> and just start talking, taking over a little bit, a little bit of processes and help her like streamline her process a little bit more and then hook her in. <laughs> that is so smart. Uh, I mean, I'm sure even now, if someone were to go out and be like, here's my, I found this deal. I yeah. unwrote the deal for you. By the way, I walked it and here's a video of me walking yeah. through the property. They will pick up your call. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, you, you just have to keep on showing up and that you're genuine and you wanted to really want to learn and you really would love to their guidance and they're giving up their time and their energy to pour into you. So you have to kind of show, demonstrate your worth it. So I'm a huge proponent of that. And that's how I also do in our business as well. And Sage, we continue to add value before we know we, we, we just doesn't make sense because it has to be both ways. Yeah, totally. And then Jen, what about you? I think that's how Maggie found me <laughs> because oh. her and Lana, they were together initially because they worked together and they teamed up when they started the multifamily journey. And so Lana, she's the one that, you know, does excellent excels and has knows all these cool formulas and makes all these cool tables and all that stuff. And she loves the underwriting aspect of it. And Maggie, she came in wanting to be the acquisitions, right? Be the person sourcing the deal, making these broker relationships and finding the deals for us. And then I'm like the third wheels doing my own thing, capital raising and investor relations, helping my investors out. And it's just, so happens that's who they were missing in their team. <laughs> and I said that I was syndicating before I met them. So I already kind of had a track record going of raising capital and marketing to my investors and all that stuff. And the universe has put us in the same, same group at some point. And that was my value that I brought to the team. And that's how we became stage. I love it. I think that's one of the strongest and maybe like under marketed values of mastermind groups is that you can actually sit, whether it be physically or virtually with a group of people. And as you get to know them over the course of weeks or months, you can figure out, well, I like doing this and mm -hmm. I hate doing this, but Maggie loves to do this. <laughs> and when you have those just constant interactions of thinking about how deals actually work and then getting to know someone, now you start to fill in the puzzle pieces and look at it now. Okay. So, yeah. Awesome context. Great tips so far. When, okay, so you now, you've helped a few di different GP groups. When did you know that it was time for you all to run your first deal or be the asset manager? We always wanted to do that from the get-go. So even when we were helping out other teams, we've been looking at our own deals. 
it took us a hundred underwritten 150 deals before I got we get our first deal. Wow. So we that is always the goal is to run our own run our show, but we're kind of like to just for the sake of joke or a little control freak. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But we did, ultimately, that's what we want to do. Like we wanted to source our own deals, and but we know that there is a process to get there. And wow. even though there's a goal, like for me, I appreciate the process, and that gets me going every day. If I can grow myself a little more, closer, and get better, and that's really my wins every day. Like, okay, let me underwrite another deal. What can I learn from this deal? What can I learn from the next deal? Uh, it did take on 150, but we got to our no, first deal in 2021 and it's doing really well. So awesome. continue digging. Jen, you want to add something I could see? Yeah. <laughs> Me. Okay. Yeah. So I think the capital raising aspect of it in the beginning was really good experience for us, right? To really see other people's processes and how they are running their deal, how they're pulling the team together, what's effective, what's working for them, what's not working for them. We got to sit on in like on asset management calls on the, on the deals that we were you know, helping co-sponsor on previously. And so we were like immersing ourselves in the world of how to operate a multifamily property. Cause we want to make sure that we know what we're doing and then that we're bringing the best practices to the table when we do have our own deal under, under our management. So that was invaluable having this prior experience. And that's what I mentioned earlier, taking it slow. Don't just come into a mastermind group or like a multifamily environment be like, all right, I'm ready to buy my first deal and run it because you will probably not know what the heck to do. I like it. That's learning by fire and all the different aspects. How, how about just for fun, just so people can understand the time that it takes and the effort that it takes to actually go from conception to being the lead main GP on a deal. So Maggie, you mentioned that you analyzed 150 deals, at least when you were ready to be the lead GP. How many, and just like quick ballpark numbers, how many investor calls do you think that you made up until that point too? Like how many one-on-one meetings? Mm, I didn't have as many as Jen. <laughs> That's my big question. You grew, how many would you ballpark that you would say, Jen? Before we got to our first deal where- Yeah, we- just from like, how many people have you talked mm-hmm. to about we're doing this project or potentially hundreds, thousands? Yeah, probably hundreds probably hundreds from the time I started until like now. And our investor list is growing all the time through like referrals, through podcasts. People are always reaching out to us. So we gotta, we do these phone calls quite frequently. So probably hundreds, probably not thousands yet, but we'll get there. <laughs> I like it. And then how were you vetting the GPs that you partnered with? Because I mean, how many different groups was it? I'm sure that. Oh, yeah. So in terms of vetting for on behalf of our investors, you kind of bring our audit skills into the game. And so for us, we find the process over time, of course, right? As we learn how things work and what we're looking for and what's important to look at, we find our process. And so now we have like a three-pronged process to vetting our sponsors and also vetting the deal and the market, the whole shebang. And it's pretty detailed. I don't know if we have time to get into it, but. <laughs> I mean, like, I, what's your one tip? Like, what's the first thing you look for? You're meeting a new GP group. Immediately, you're looking, like, you, Jen, are looking for this. And I'm sure Maggie's is different. Yeah. So I know a lot of people talk about, like, their track record, So that is important, but I think what's missing when people say that is like, 
looking into the validity of the track record. Because as we talked about earlier, so many people in this industry can like leverage off of the mentors or le leverage off of their other partnerships, track record, right? And so it's really important for you to dig really deep and really find out what kind of asset management they might've done on these properties, right? How did they execute the refinance or how did they execute the sale? So it's really important to dig beneath the surface. I like it. So you're not looking at that headline of $200 million foreclosure, but you actually want to get to the root of it versus the headline. Correct. I appreciate it. Maggie, what about you? Yeah, I will add on to Jen. It's like uh, what, who you partner with is the most, is very important. And what roles have they, what roles have they took on previously? And I think it's very, it's, if you can have, if you've been in the conferences and if you have been into like a lot of, like a good deal in network, you start seeing people. So you can start seeing, share like contacts. And that's where we also vet out too, to make sure that I'll uh, have you work with these people. We do a lot of references calls before we even jump to work with our journal partners. So. I like it. Solid tips. Okay. So mm -hmm. the next one, this is kind of fun. So. I have here is a question that I wrote is interest rates are changing faster than my toddler's mood. <laughs> what are your guys' thoughts on the market today? Yeah, I can take that. Uh, so I think I always look at the optimistic view. <laughs> I do feel like we, we, we have some, we grow, but I feel like we are intentionally growing us slowly and gradually our company. So, and that's intentional. So we want to make sure that we grow in the right size. And I think a lot of, in this right environment, I think you can start seeing when a tide goes off, tides goes on, you can see who's swimming naked, right? So I feel like that's going to be happening. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of more opportunities in this changing ties. And I'm excited for that. And I'm, I am sure that we're ready to, we want to be in position right now to make sure that we can capture those deals. So. I like it. Jen, what, do you, what about you? Yeah. So. The market today is definitely a lot more challenging. We aren't seeing a lot of deal flows happening. Sellers are still not quite adjusted to the price expectations that the market kind of had lowered their asset to. But so yeah, as Maggie said, we're waiting for these opportunities. We're working really hard on ourselves and on our system and processes so that when these opportunities do come around later on this year, that we're ready to take advantage of them and share them with our investors. Okay. So you're waiting for the perfect mm -hmm. time. The guidance is no perfect time. Mm -hmm. But what markets are you looking in? Yeah. So our markets in right now is in Alabama, Georgia, and a little bit of a Tennessee side. So Chattanooga and all to Memphis area. So that's our really our pocket where we have a good hold. Okay. So if anyone invests in those markets and you have either deal flow and or a potential, I don't know, lenders or contacts, reach out. Yeah. And also I want to add that like for us, our two, two properties that we sourced and uh, our asset managing are in Alabama market and tertiary markets, nonetheless. And I know that doesn't sound very sexy because nobody, nobody, none of our investors heard of, well, a few have heard of the market that we in, invested into, but it's not sexy markets at all. But at the same time, we have reasons. We obviously do our invest, our research and have found market fundamentals that support why we should be investing in these. And happy to say that all that research and 
all that effort that we put into it has come to fruition as we're seeing great success on these properties that we have, even in tertiary markets. Like we're buying it at a really good cost basis, which gives us a lot more room, right, to grow. And so, so despite being in tertiary markets, like the properties are doing very well. I mean, I'm sure with your background and all three of your backgrounds, being able to confidently communicate numbers definitely mitigates some of the unknowns of a market. I know as I talk to our investor base and thinking about tertiary markets, it's harder for us. I mean, it's harder for me because I can't, I probably can't dive into numbers as deep as you all can. And so I'm sure that's an advantage for you all when you guys are bringing up these markets to your investor base. Let's pivot to maybe what I'm comfortable with and let's talk about how social media or if you even utilize social media for your business. Any quick thoughts on that? Yes. I mean, social media seems really important. <laughs> and so we haven't been as active on social media as before because I guess our times has kind of got stretched thin over now that we're managing these properties, our, a lot of our time are being taken up by to, to manage these properties. So we haven't been as active on social media, but it is something that we're looking to expand upon once we find the manpower to help us manage that. Okay. Maggie, any other thoughts on that one? I don't do as much social media. <laughs> I post, I do post occasionally. I do between LinkedIn and, show, and my personal Facebook things. That I try to balance it out a little bit more of who I am as a person and a little bit of work when I want to just add it into the mix. So, so where are you finding your LPs now? A lot of referrals, actually. It's a word of mouth because I feel like I think we, I don't know. I think maybe we're just very humble and very hard to like. We're um, not salespeople. We're not like out there boost, promoting our asset under management or yeah. units and stuff like that. Like we're just not natural salespeople. We don't know how to pump ourselves up. <laughs> to we're, see boring, we're boring people. We're boring people. <laughs> we just like safety, stability, slow and steady. We like certainty. We like to make sure that we like, look at all the risk factors we know we like to kind of just hunker down and just get our work done and make sure that we're doing the best deal possible and performing for our investors and honestly i think marketing and social media is a bit of a weakness for us because we're not really open people <laughs> but here's what's awesome is sometimes the marketing is smoke and mirrors yeah. versus your numbers can't lie and so if you keep raising capital and most of your your investor pool is coming from referrals. And that means your numbers are clearly speaking for themselves. You guys are successful and you didn't need to have this crazy marketing campaign because you were just delivering period. Yes. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. We hope to just have our track record speak for us. <laughs> so what was the most memorable drink you've ever had? Who was it with and what made it so memorable? Jen? I mean, we are first. Okay. So my most memorable drink I had was actually with Robert Kiyosaki. I actually got to sit down with him one-on-one. -on -one. I invited him to sit at my table and talk to me. <laughs> this was like back in late 2017. I went to my first investment conference in New Orleans and I went because he was going to be there. So I had a, an, I had 
uh, clear intention of why I was going to be at this event. I was a huge fan of his after reading like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I thought it'd be so amazing to meet him in person. So I got a chance to talk, meet him several times throughout the conference. And then on the last night, it was like their celebration dinner and he was just standing around. And so I like went up to him and asked, invited him to sit down with me so we can chat. And he had a few beers and I had water, I think. I don't remember what I had. <laughs> But yeah, that was really memorable because I got to really speak intimately to him. And I don't know why I felt so comfortable being open with Robert Kiyosaki, maybe because I read his book, I feel like I know him. <laughs> and so it was a really great conversation because the advice he gave me during that conversation was priceless. I felt like it really changed my life because he kind of gave me a different perspective on self-development and what I needed to do. Because I was like, as mentioned earlier in the beginning, I was like feeling kind of stuck, feeling really restless at this point in my life where I didn't really know how to be, get out of this cycle and do something more, right, with my life. And so I think I shared that with him during that conversation. And he told me about self-development. And then when I came back from the conference, I like looked at things differently and really applied discipline to working on myself. And my, I felt like it changed my life forever. So now I have to know, what did he tell you? Like, what was that mindset shift? Like, what did he say? Well, he, I mean, he, I mean, just, he was just like, have you, oh God, he brought up this consulting. It's like a self-development consulting company. He was like, have you heard of this company before? I forget the name of it. Something Learner, I forget. And okay. so he asked me, have I heard of them? I was like, no, I haven't. He was like, you should look into it. And it was something that he used, I guess, earlier on his day, in his days. He said, you should really look into it. And uh, like, I think, so I don't know, that kind of put a different spin on it when he mentioned like self-development, because I was like telling him about what was kind of bothering me. And I don't know what was like, what I was kind of unhappy with in my life. And he brought this up. And so it's not like he said anything like so magical, but it's kind of like, oh, self-development. I've done that before in the past. It, I love reading self-help books since I was in high school. I love reading it. But then like, I guess I just never took it seriously or really like apply what I was learning from these books. So after he brought up that word, it just triggered something in my mind. Like, you know what? There has to be, it has to be effective. You know what I mean? Like all those years of reading those books and not, nothing really changing. Like maybe I was doing it wrong. So <laughs> it kind of gave me a different perspective on how to approach this whole self-development thing. And, um, and so I kind of changed the approach. I read certain books that helped me kind of change my habits. Morning Miracle was the one that I'm talking, is the one that I'm talking about. And it really changed my habits and my routine in a way that I was able to find time to focus on myself and like quiet down my mind and really like listen to what is it that I wanted, that I wanted to discover about myself. Oh, that I mean, you had a once in a lifetime experience, that I'm sure people would pay 10s of not hundreds of dollars for. So Maggie, I, I'm assuming then is your most memorable drink? Is it like Oprah? Or... <laughs> oh, no, I don't know if I can top that. Oh. Mine's a little but I would say uh, it's not really a memorable drink. I've been it was an event that we went to. It was a Tony Robbins event. I would say that was mo most memorable. I've been drinking water all day, <laughs> hours a day for five days a week. I mean, five days, five consecutive days. It was a little crazy. And it's on the line with self-development. I, in the corporate world, I heard of Tony Robbins. I believe his message, but I never really immersed myself into it because I don't know what was the end goal was to create more profits for the corporation. <laughs> so it didn't make any sense. <laughs> so it didn't quite, quite at that time, even though mm -hmm. I like you understand it, but it didn't really click. 
it wasn't until like I guess last year when we all of us um in Sage um the three of us decided to go to Tony Robbins event. And I think we, when you start a company, go through different phases and we felt like we got into a place and we feel like sometimes you will feel plateau. That's just a normal course of the business. And when you feel plateau, you got to figure out how do you get out of it? How do you get unstuck? So we found, we just thought like, maybe let's try this, go to Tony Robbins and see what it is. And for me, it was really helpful. It wasn't, it wasn't really related to the business side it will, because the business side is almost like how the what and why was the harder question and you had to dig very deeply and I feel like that and through that journey or maybe I was a from personally I felt like I was like in some I need some deep cleaning in my head <laughs> so and I think just being in that environment or that five days or 14 hours a day I kind of wash my brain <laughs> and really helped me really realize okay what is really truly important in my life we prioritize what is what should be and how to find more fulfillment because at the end of your life you really want to when you meet your creator you want to tell him that you did everything you can possibly done in this lifetime and thank you for so much for giving me all this gift so now you went deep there (laughs) (laughs) i can go deep (laughs) Oh, I appreciate you all because Jin, it seems like your group only goes on, goes out to conferences and meetings with some superstar players. So Jin's having drinks with Robert Kiyosaki, Maggie, you guys are with the Tony Robbins and now you're on my podcast. I feel so special. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <laughs> well, just to round things off, what are you all looking for now? How can someone add value to you? Yeah. So, I mean, as we grow our portfolio, we're always looking for really good, smart, trustworthy, reliable partners to partner with, whether it's on the co-sponsorship side or as a KP, when we take down the larger deals that we may need extra loan guarantors on. And so, yeah, just good, reliable people similar to us. I like it. And how can people find you? Yeah, you can find us on our website, sageinvestinggroup.com. And although we're not super active on social media, we do have social media accounts. So sageinvestinggroup.com, sageinvestinggroup on Facebook and on Instagram and LinkedIn. I will link all of those down below. More of the YouTube subscribe stuff. If you are enjoying this, make sure to like this and share this if you found this helpful. And then if you wanted to hit subscribe, I wouldn't mind either because that helps me a lot too. But Jen, Maggie, I really appreciate you both sharing your story. And thanks so much for jumping on the show. Thank you so much, Joshua. So much fun for us. So good. We'll see all of you viewers, listeners on the next one. Cheers, guys. <laughs>